What's up, what's up, what's up? It's Vegas, a.k.a. Mr. 702, live from the building, and we are about to go under the armor. Reacting versus responding. Now, as a kid, I was very much instinctive, like, I really didn't have no filter. I struggled with self-control and I would just do whatever I felt. And I think that one of my biggest um, things that I had to achieve growing into an adult and becoming a young man is learning how to respond versus reacting. Um, Yes, to be technical, responding is a reaction. However, it takes consideration of the desired outcome of the whole interaction. Well, conversely, a reaction is a result of a kind of almost like innate feeling. Like when we react to something, it's really instinctual, it's not much thought to it where when you respond to something, like I like to say, you mutter. And I think learning how to mutter is a great skill most men need to master in order to achieve adulthood because reacting is emotional. Responding is emotional intelligence. Reacting is emotional. Responding is emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is one of the greatest skills that you have to develop in order to elevate yourself to a different level, to to become a complete individual. Because with emotional intelligence, it really brings a different thought process to your innate behaviors. When conversing with others, you realize that emotional intelligence can make or break a situation. Um, Emotional intelligence is so difficult because I don't really think it's taught at a young age. And I think for me personally, I was in my mid-20s before I even really began to focus on emotional intelligence. But with emotional intelligence, as far as reacting versus responding, it really brings a lot of steps. And I think one of the first steps is self-awareness within communication. When something happens understanding one's own emotions and feelings, that's a game changer. Many of us don't take the time to understand our emotions. We don't take the time to figure out our feelings. And when we do have a episode or a tantrum, we are quick to blame others, we have to realize that 
our ability to communicate our emotions will impact any situation, both positive and negative. And being self-aware, it allows us to recognize what role we play in all situations. And you know me, you know how I feel about that absolute responsibility and having the skill to recognize your emotions and the effects they're going to have on an entire situation allows you to enter a thought process of trying to make sense of what will work for all. Now, I said you have to be aware of your emotions within your communication. However, that is just one part because I feel like it's a yin-yang process because you have to be able to self-regulate. And I'm going to be honest with you. Self-regulation is one of the skills that I am so thankful I have, that I am able to pull myself back. I'm able to control my response. Um, I used to have this doctor in the state of Denver. If you don't know, I'm six foot four, about 245 pounds. Um, my MOS in the military was 12 Bravo. So making bombs is one of my specialties. And then while I was in the military, because I could not strip anymore because I got married, I started doing MMA fighting. Um, so you're looking to somebody that has actually qualified for all army combatives. And so I like combat. I really enjoy combat. However, we live in a society where that might not be the best thing for me to do. So oftentimes in situations, I have to be self-aware of my communication. But furthermore, I have to self-regulate. And that's the ability to modulate my emotions understanding that I need to be aware of my emotions and regulate them. That doesn't mean I suppress them because I can be honest with you. One of my first practices as a young adult and as even an adult was suppressing my emotions and it left me so angry and sad and bitter because I would just stuff things down until they exploded. And when they exploded, I would see red and I would go on these, these, destructive episodes of just anger and dismay and then i would and then after this episode of anger i would be so embarrassed and so sad that i could not control myself and that things and situations would bring out this monster with inside of me now i know that in life things are going to happen that are outside of my control. However, I have the sovereignty and the ability to choose how I am going to react emotionally, understanding that I am absolutely accountable for every action that I do. I am absolutely accountable for every action that I do. I am not a child who can have a tantrum tantrum and then it be ignored because I do not know better. Matter of fact, I know better and therefore I am challenged to do better. 
even if the situation is not ideal. I have to be able to understand that me going off, going crazy, trying to initiate in combat is not the goal that I have. The goal that I have right now, there are tremendous. I am 32 years old. I will be 33 in November 2nd. I have seven years to amass businesses and properties and just different things that are going to allow me to retire at 40. At 40 years old, I want to be on an island, waking up in a beach house, going to my patio and really enjoying that morning sun breeze combination without having to worry about doing anything. This is my end goal. This is my Thanos goal. And in order to achieve this goal, it has to be my motivation all the time. So when something happens and I am have the ability to choose to react or respond, when I respond, I am responding, understanding that my end goal is to get to a place where I can retire. And therefore, I am not going to let any he, she, or it stop me from doing that. Now, another beauty of reacting, not reacting and responding, is that you're able to display empathy. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I am not the most empathetic person. I, I, my mom, she did a great job. She did a tremendous, wonderful job. But I grew up on the west side of Las Vegas. And after the west side of Las Vegas, we moved to Ohio and I moved here or there. And then I went into the military. And after the military, I came home. I tried to do college. I flipped over and I went into the Department of Corrections. So from age 18 to age 26, most of my jobs engaged, well, even past that, even when I worked for the train station, most of my jobs had a life or death situation in it. And like, I'm not saying that it hardened me, but it definitely changed me. It wasn't until 28, 29 that I started really being like, you have to be empathetic. Every individual is feeling something. Every individual has a need and a desire. And every individual has their own ideology. The truth is, successful people who have empathy for others are going to be more well-rounded. And I wanted to be more well-rounded. I wanted to be able to better consider others. I wanted to be able to better understand others. One of my biggest desires to gain in empathy was to be able to consider my partner. Because if I could be honest with you, um, first dating, 
even my marriage, I was not an empathetic person. But now when things go awry, I can display empathy and understand that maybe this person needs me to be understanding and benevolent instead of being so harsh and hard. And so I think that's a big key to responding and not reaction because my initial reaction is very militant, very cut dry, very no excuse. But then as I respond, I'm understanding and I'm able to communicate in a way that is more kinder. I think that a reaction is about the moment where a response is about the outcome. A reaction is selfish and self-centered while a response is thinking about the greater good of all. Even if you were to consider what somebody could do to you to have you react in a negative way. I think if you were to choose to respond, you could maybe diffuse or deescalate that situation and come out with a result that could be more advantageous to you. I think responding will allow others, for me, responding has allow me to improve my relationships. It has allowed me to increase my overall productivity in life. It has given me greater possibilities because I want to be an effective leader. I want to be somebody who is self-aware and somebody who self-regulates and somebody that is always congenite of the end goal. I want to display empathy in a social setting and be able to handle all situations that come abroad. I do not want to be categorized as the angry black man. And therefore I choose to react rather, I choose to respond instead of react. Do not try. Do or do not. There's no try. Now, I felt like this was a cool saying from Yoda of Star Wars. Um, however, I've been personally training for, I would say, 2016, maybe 2015. And one of the things that I hate when getting a new client is the word try. We do not try. We do or we do not. There is no middle in between because trying often implies that there is a chance for failure. Trying allows you to kind of give yourself some leeway. Number one, Honestly speaking, trying is a lackful or a lackluster investment. When you try, you are saying that you are not fully invested in whatever you have going on, whether that be school, work, life, 
fitness, you have to understand something. Try is a sorry word. It allows us to hold back. Utilizing the word try subconsciously gives you a way out. It subconsciously gives you an excuse to fail. It subconsciously allows failure to be an option. Trying also lacks confidence. If you're trying, you're unsure. You're unclear. Maybe, maybe not. Kinda, sorta, hopefully, if all things go right, that's what trying is. Trying is not absolute. We don't try. Teams don't try to win a championship. They do. Businesses don't try to make money. Because if they try to make money, then the light's going to go off. Relationships don't try to work. Oh, yes, they do. And that's how they end up ended and then divorce. Think about if your marriage vow said, I will try to stay with you. It is lackluster and unconfident. It shows no authority. It is a presentation of being uncommitted and to a certain extent phony because when you try and you don't have the confidence, you can't have absolute ownership. Trying does not make you absolutely responsible. When you try and you fail, it is no longer your fault. It is no longer your responsibility. It is no longer for you to be accountable for. Failure is going to happen. It is a part of life. Oftentimes we fail more times than we succeed. And when we do succeed, it is a great grandioso succession. However, Taking ownership of that failure allows you to still gain skills and insight. Let's take this to fitness. You don't try to lose 15 pounds before such and such. Let's do the math. Intelligently speaking, you're supposed to lose 1.5 to 2 pounds per week. If you're trying to lose 15 pounds, that's going to take 1, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 16. So it'll take you about 17. It'll take you about seven weeks in order to amass that goal. Now, we what we do know is that losing 15 pounds is not easy. It's not. It's extremely difficult, especially if you have conditions of, say, obesity, inactivity, you're just getting back in the gym, you work, children, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And oftentimes, I know myself as a personal trainer, I would make sure to communicate and convey to any client that I had that you have now decided 
to put a financial responsibility on losing said 15 pounds. You are now completely responsible. You have absolute ownership over whether this is going to be successful or not. It is my job to guide you on this path, on this journey, to give you the information, the scientific reasoning, the knowledge, the care to monitor your workout and so that you are lifting in a way that is fully acceptable, both in technique and in repetitions and overall force resistance so that you may come upon this goal. However, if you're going to try, then you might miss a day. Man, you know, I got off late. You know, I I had to take care of the kids. And then like once I got to doing what I was doing, I just lost track of time. Does that sound like you actually doing it? Or does that sound like you tried to get to your personal training appointment? However, life made it to where you were not successful. And it is not your fault. No. Heavens no. It is not your fault. But rather, it is life's fault to the fact that you didn't make it to your personal training appointment. We have to understand something. Our peers, our coworker, and definitely our significant other is always watching and they are always invested. I know this as a man. As a man, I want to be I want my word to be so unequivocally concrete. Oftentimes when I am talking to a female, I will let her know that my word is law and that everything I say, every promise, every declaration that I make is absolute because the only person that's going to stop me from making my word true is the good Lord himself. How? Because I want people to know that when I open my mouth, it is absolutely truthful and unequivocally going to happen. So if you want your word to be law, if you want to see better results in your personal life, in your relationship, in your overall physical fitness, in your mental health, Stop trying. Stop trying. Stop trying and give absolute effort and make it happen. Because you are a doer. And doers wake up and get shit done. So I am an avid student of Podcast University, Ebook University, YouTube University. And one of the YouTubes I came across was the, The Psychology of Money, 
which <laughs> promoted me to go buy the book, The Psychology of Money, and actually put it in my reading queue. Man, my reading queue is so big right now. It is ridiculous. However, there's this individual named Myron Golden, M-Y-R-O-N-G-O-L-D-E-N. And he has this thing that rich people do this with money, the psychology of money. And it's about a 12-minute clip, but it is it's so good. It's so dense. And one of the first things he asks is, who taught you about money? Who taught you about finance? Who taught you about debt? Who taught you about credit? Who taught you about budget? I know growing up, I grew up in a single single family home with two kids, me and my sister. And my mom was amazing, an all-star, a shining example of what a woman should be. We did not want for nothing. However, we were, I believe and I feel, living paycheck to paycheck. There was this one time, and I'll never forget this. Um, Matter of fact, I'll be honest with you. This is one of the reasons that I do not celebrate my birthday. My mom had remarried my father and the winter was terrible. My dad had ended up getting hurt at work and he had had some heart complications or yeah, yeah, it was heart complications. And so for my birthday, my parents, my dad bought me a jump rope. And if I could tell you, like, I know that we are supposed to be so thankful and so gracious for every gift that we give, receive. However, when my parents could only afford a jump rope, it was when I knew that I did not want to celebrate my birthday to the point where I am hesitant to tell people when my actual birthday was. But let me get back on cue. My mom was very fugal. She did not believe in wasting money. Um, my mom is a good, she, she always, she budgets her money well. She lives within her means. She really, I mean, she really will get you on a straight and narrow as far as that goes. However, my mom was always a hard worker. I mean, she literally, she did room service at the Las Vegas Hilton for 16 years. Killed it on her feet all day, getting it. You know what I mean? However, I believe that nobody ever taught my mom the psychology of money. And so there's this uh, four-way street where Mr. Golden kind of articulates his ideology and in the he puts it into four sectors and there's this one sector that trades time for money i want to work 60 hours i'm a hard worker 80 hours however this is the most bare minimum financial individual because time for money 
is always going to equate to being underpaid. <clears throat> Honestly speaking, if you are getting paid by the hour, it is very difficult because you have to commit hours unto something. One of my biggest beefs in America is the avenging of salary. I have been a salary employee for a long time and for a lot of it. And I can honestly tell you that that is the biggest load of bullshit in the universe. Because as a salary employee, you always work more. I remember I was the general manager of um, I Love Kickboxing. And I was a salary employee. And I used to have to put in hours. I mean, over eight hours a day. Sometimes working six times a week. And because I was salary, I really started to feel like the company was getting extra unpaid work out of me. It was crazy. The second person is the person that trades credit for material items. And this would be considered, quote unquote, middle class. This is the person that is not living paycheck to paycheck, but has the credit to buy things that are outside of their financial wheelhouse. This is the person who may have an expensive car. This is a person that may live in an apartment that is vastly overpriced. This is the, I just got out of college and I got a degree type individual. That is a lot of us. That is a lot of us in the world. I would say, honestly, that's the mass majority of us. Those that are trying to live their best life while also putting it on a credit card. Then there was this third group which is pretty interesting. This was the, I own a business, but I am the only employee group, which is kind of sad because that group and the time for money group are kind of in the same parallel because what ends up happening, according to Mr. Golding, is that you get, um, you become linchpin to your occupation. Small business owners average about 74 hours a week. And if you are the only employee that's doing the work, you are under a vast, a vast amount of stress and pressure to perform in order to keep your business afloat. And then there was this fourth category, which is those who make their money make money. Now, I know for myself, I was not really taught about financial investment, and I'm still always learning about it. I believe that as an investor, that it is an inherent risk. It is no different than gambling. However, it is gambling in a way that you can have a long-term explosion or a growth of money. I don't think that anybody, um, anybody that would be honest 
would say that investing is not ideal. Most financial practices will tell you that after you make a certain amount of money that you need to invest, you need to be able to allow your money to grow. One of the financial practices that I believe in is that every dollar I make should make a dollar. So let's just take the average human being. The average medium income is about 42,000. So if your 42,000 makes 42,000, that's 84,000. Well, really a 42,000 profit. Now, does that mean that your 42,000 is going to make 42,000 overnight? Probably not. In a year, no, but within 10 years, if you are doing small, safe investment with understanding, then you can make your money make money. Most people who are well off understands that one of the powers is to invest and then allow that investment to yield dividends, not get money to buy cars, get money to buy jewelry, get money to buy clothes. Lord Jesus knows most of us make money just to live on amazon.com. However, those who have really established financial ability are those who are now allowing their money to make money. Their money is no longer a thing that depreciates, it actually becomes an asset because over time it is steadily increasing. So while most of us were taught to live paycheck to paycheck, who taught you to put yourself in a financial discipline that allows your money to make money, allowing you not to live paycheck to paycheck? Remember, to be more real, be more human, be more honest. Catch me next time as we continue to go under the armor.